0: Let's see if we can uh, figure something out here this morning. Revival in the wilderness, Matthew 3, 1 through 12. In those days, John, his name is John. His name is not, his first name is not John and his last name Baptist and his middle name Thee. His name is John. He happened to be the baptizer. That's what he did. That's how they described him. So in those days, John, the baptizer, came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair, and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the wrath of Khan? uh, Not the wrath of Khan, but the wrath to (laughs) come. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourself, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His wintering fork is in his hand. He will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So kind of just a little bit of setup on where we're at here. Um, the Old Testament, what we know as the Old Testament, the Hebrews did not, under, did not look at it as the Old Testament. That was just the scriptures. They called it the Hebrew scriptures. Uh, the book of Malachi was the last book um, where uh, in, that, in, the, in the Old Testament, what we know as the Old Testament, we'll just call it the Old Testament. And there was 400 years of silence between Malachi and the time that John the Baptist arose. At the end of Malachi, in Malachi 4, 5 through 6, Malachi prophesied, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a degree of utter destruction. So what is God's heart for a whole family? fathers and children and children with fathers. We're not saying that mothers aren't included in that. It's just saying, yeah, you know, one of the things that the enemy knows is that the way to destroy a family is to eliminate fathers, yeah, right? right? Yeah. So the, the modern family no longer has fa- fathers. They have procreators. Yeah. Right. I don't need you to be a father to my children. I just need you to help me father children, And then whether you're around or not, I don't really care. In fact, a lot of the modern movement today is I don't need a man, right? And the reality is you need a man to have a child. There is this pride thing going on at the park. I think it's Pride Month or wherever the case may be. But you can't procreate without uh, male and female. So, yes, I'm talking to the women, but I could also talk to the men. Uh, I just happen to start there. But you need a man to be able to procreate if you're a woman. But if you want to have a family, a biblical family and a healthy family, you need to have a father. And you need to have a mother. You need to have both. Now, we're not saying if you're part of a single family that you can't, with God's grace, uh, bring your kids up in a way that they can be serving God and do what, uh, what. But God's original design is father, mother, both together, raising children. And that is the healthy family union. Yeah. All right? And so God is saying, I'm going to restore families, and the way I'm going to do that is by sending Elijah the prophet. Okay, so after the ministry of Malachi, Israel entered into a period of about 400 years of silence. And though some of the priests and the Levites continued to honor the priesthood, corruption crept into the religious, social, and political life of Judea. And this was a time when the people mourned the loss of prophets and yearned for the authoritative voice. You've got to realize 400 years of silence. The United States has only been in existence since uh, 1776. That's when the Declaration uh, was made and the Constitution was put together. So that's 200-plus years. They had 400 years of silence. And in in this time, John appears on the stage suddenly and mysteriously as Elijah on whom Matthew's account of his prophetic ministry will be modeled. He was... He was prophesying, he was preaching in the wilderness of Judea. And when we're talking about wilderness here, um, we're not talking about so much like a a desert place, although it was kind of a barren place. Uh, The implication is he was prophesying not where there was an abundance of people, but where there was a scarcity of people. There was nobody out there in the wilderness. But yet what we find is that with John the Baptist, the Spirit of God was moving. Matthew 3 and 3, for this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. In this scripture, whether you realize it or not, there are two parties that are being brought to light. There is the voice, and there is the one who is crying out in the wilderness. You, know, you might say to yourself, that's the same people. I don't believe so. The voice is John's. We can all agree on that. So, who's the one that's crying out in the wilderness that is using John's voice? It's to me none other than the Spirit of God. All throughout the Bible, when God's going to speak, the Spirit of God would come upon someone who was given the word of the Lord. This person would be empowered by the Spirit of God to deliver the word of God that they had received from God. Ezekiel 2 and 1 says, He said to me, Son of man, stand on your feet and I will speak with you. And as he spoke to me, the Spirit entered into me and set me on my feet, and I heard him speaking to me. Luke one sixty seven. and his father, John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and when he was filled with the Holy Spirit, through the means, through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, he spoke, he prophesied right? Acts 2.17, and in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. And what happens when the Spirit of God is poured out on all flesh? Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. What does the prophesy mean? It means to speak for. And it means just more than just gibberish, more than just talking, because some of us can talk, and the Spirit of God ain't anywhere near you. (laughs) Don't look at anybody. We're talking about Spirit-empowered talk, all right? So the Spirit of God was moving, and he was using a man by the name of John the Baptist. And that's John, who was baptizing. That brings to the second point, the man the Spirit was using. In those days, John came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Now, John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. So the man whom the Spirit was speaking through was John... And I don't know if you know this, but John was actually Jesus' cousin, and John was from a priestly line. So in in the Old Testament, uh, they had not just people. uh, You couldn't go to seminary and become a priest. You had to be from a priestly line. You had to be one from the tribe of Levi. uh, And from the tribe of Levi, you had the tribe of Aaron. Uh, You had the clan of Aaron, who were the high priests. And then you had the Levites who helped uh, uh, the people of Aaron's descendants. And, And so John was from that priestly line, and he was actually Jesus's cousin Luke 1 5 through 7 in those days uh, there was a priest named Zechariah and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron and her name was Elizabeth and they were both righteous before God they had no child but the angel said to him do not be afraid for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John if it was a Spanish Bible we would say Juan all right so Juan would have been brought up and schooled as a priest, but we find that John is anything but a traditional priest. Now, you need to keep this in mind. He, he didn't know what he was going to be that I know of, so what did he go through? He went through the typical training that somebody that was going to be in the priesthood would have. He would know the scriptures. He would know how to function in the, in the temple. He would know how to dress. He would know uh, all these things that they need to know. He would know, but he was atypical of a priest. Why do, why do we say that? Because he wore a garment of camel's hair. That's not what priests wore. Who wore a garment of camel's hair? The model that we have for who, who did that was a guy by the name of Elijah. Uh, he was a prophet in the Old Testament, and he was kind of a, a, a out-there kind of individual, all right? And he had a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and wild honey. So what he wasn't wearing was a three-piece suit, He wasn't found in the fanciest restaurants and in the best hotels. He wasn't sporting the most expensive lifestyle and driving the best car, or in this particular case, the best camel. Instead, he had sold his camel and made a garment of camel's hair, and he was wearing it with a leather belt, keeping it on, and he was eating a diet of fruits and honey. No, locusts are not bugs. Locust. I went to Israel. Got an opportunity to go to Israel, and, the, and the, I think it was the cab driver said everybody thinks that he was eating bugs. There's actually a fruit in the wilderness that they call a locust. He was eating fruits and honey. He was not eating bugs, but he wasn't eating quail eggs and foie gras either. John, this particular John, was the person whom the Spirit of God had chosen. To bring forth this move of God that would affect the course of history. Now think about it. If it was me, would I have chosen John? No, probably not. If it was you, would you have chosen John? No, probably not. We tend to want to find the people with the best credentials, and you say, how do you know that? Because what we do, even when we pick a pastor, we we have them send in their resumes. Who has the best education? Who has the best experience? Who has this? Who has that? That's what we're looking for. We want someone that ticks all the boxes, but that's not what we should be looking for. What we should be looking for is the one whom the Spirit of God is upon. It's good to have the boxes tick. We're not saying if you can get that as well, that's a good thing. But first and foremost, what we want and what we need is a man whom the Spirit of God or a woman whom the Spirit of God has chosen to rest upon, to use, to do what he's going to do. God's Spirit does not rest upon institutions. God's Spirit does not rest upon denominations. God's Spirit does not rest upon buildings that we call churches. God's Spirit rests upon people. And God, whether we like it or not, chooses some people to be the forerunners for what he's about to do. And he had chosen John, all right? John was a person whom the Spirit of God had chosen to bring forth this move of God that would affect the course of history. Now, let's look at the place that the Spirit of God was moving. He was preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Now, notice, he didn't have the best location or the most expensive locale. In fact, let me, let me make this even more uh, uh, culturally relevant to today. He didn't go to a seeker-friendly uh, seminar. He didn't do all the, uh, learn how to do all the marketing that is required today in order to start a church. He didn't do any of that. And I'm here today. I'm I'm telling you, if you're going to start a church today, you got to go to all the seminars. You got to go to all the courses. You got to get a bunch of people around you. You got to do all the calling. You got to make sure you got to have all this stuff in place before you can start a church. And then, if you do everything just right, then everything might work. John did none of that. What did he have? Spirit of God was on his life, right? He didn't have the best location. Didn't have the most expensive locale. He wasn't even in the big city. He was in the desert. Sometimes, if we're not careful, we might fall prey to thinking that God visits the biggest and the best and the most luxurious places. We got to have the best building. We got to have the best parking lot. We got to have the best this. We got to have the best preacher. We got to have the best uh, uh, dressed people. We got to have all of that. Yet, all throughout the Bible and all throughout history, we we find that God does not act the way we think. Isaiah 55 and 8, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Yeah. Luke 2 and 12, even when Jesus showed up, he didn't show up in a palace. He didn't show up in the best city. The Bible says this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling claws and lying in a manger. In fact, one of the greatest revivals in recent history that has taken place throughout history was in Azusa Street, California, and that happened in a converted barn. Yeah, it did. And actually, when people went into that place, the smell of manure, they could never really get rid of it. But you know who chose to live there? Who do, I mean, to dwell there, the presence of the Lord. Yes, amen. So it's not about, hey, you know, sometimes you go in and say what is this place why why who would want to come here you know it's not on the best thoroughfare i'm not talking about us but i'm just saying whenever we go pick a church it's not on the best thoroughfare it doesn't have the best marketing uh preacher doesn't wear suits you know uh people don't don't act you know the way we think they should act you know they should they should be uh you know they should dress their best they should all smell good i mean you know the carpet should be pristine everything should be the best that's where god shows up always think so. What about the method? See, God showed up in the wilderness where John the Baptist was. And what was the method? The method that God was using was the old-fashioned method of preaching. You want to reach people today, you got to have have, uh, super uh, uh, presentations. You got to have all the best uh, and, the, and there's nothing wrong with that. We're not in any way saying that there's anything wrong with that. But we fall into this idea that if we don't have the slickest marketing and the best presentations and all the gimmicks and, and you know, the LED LCD walls and all that kind of stuff, you know, we're not going to be able to reach people. In fact, I, I, I'm not saying that I hadn't always been there. I remember when I went to church. I used to pastor a church in Pearland, and I just thought I was a young pastor, and I thought to myself, if we can get a digital sign. This church will grow. I was—I mean, I really thought that. Man, we got to get a digital sign. We help, we'll be the only church in town because that was a long time ago. I'm not as young as I look. <laughs> if we can get an LCD sign, a ticker tape sign. I'm telling you, this church will grow. It'll be popping. No, that's not going to grow a church. But it's amazing how we can fall into that. What's going to grow a church? You can't get away from prayer. You can't get away from the Spirit of God. You can't get away from holiness. All of these things. You, you, you uh, seek the Lord. With, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. And you've got to have a pro- proclamation of the Word of God. He was, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching. He was proclaiming the news of the kingdom of God, the good news of the kingdom of God. He was a preacher who, through the foolishness of preaching, was declaring to the masses the word of God. I think today, you know, people are like, um, you know, we just need to shorten the sermon, shorten the sermon, shorten the sermon, shorten the sermon, shorten the sermon. And, you know, if we can just preach 15 minutes, we can get out of here in in an hour. And the reality is, I'll tell you right now, is that, you know, if you notice, things are going, you know, the worship is going, and that's fantastic, people start praying, Uh, in our minds we might think everybody's doing it at the wrong time, you know, because we're time conscious. But, you know, if you're not time conscious anymore, let God do what he wants, right? If you're just worried about getting here at the right, on the right time and getting out at the right time, maybe you're in the wrong place. Right? There are other places where you can go where you can get out in 45 minutes to an hour. That's not our concern here. Our concern here is that God would have his way. And when God has his way, people get saved, healed, delivered, and set free. And I want to tell you something. If you've been saved, healed, delivered, and set free, you don't care what time it is. Right? That's so all I'll tell you. I'll tell you again, we're going to let God do what he wants, but we're always going to anchor what we do on the preaching. And so if there's any way I can get up here and preach, I don't care if we've been going for two and a half hours. If you'll give me the freedom to do it, I'll keep preaching. Amen? Amen. Amen. Because God, it's, God works through the foolishness of preaching. So John the Baptist uh, uh, was proclaiming through the foolishness of preaching, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Romans 10 and 14 says, how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone proclaiming or teaching or preaching? Now, what was the message that the Spirit of God was saying through John? In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, repent, For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, uh, for the kingdom of God was at hand. The word repent is from the Greek word "metanoia," which means to turn around. It literally means to change your way of thinking. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven is at hand and things work differently in the kingdom than they do in the world. Luke 3 and 3, and he went all around the region, around the Jordan, Jesus, proclaiming a baptism or repentance for the forgiveness of sins. What I want to emphasize this morning is there are other times where we'll emphasize the kingdom of God, but what I want to emphasize this morning is that word repent. Repent means change your way of thinking, change your behavior. Today it seems that to proclaim that we need to change is taboo for much of the church. In order to necessitate change, people must be made aware of their present sinful condition. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And they need to be uh, aware of their ways that need changing in order to get to a place where they can embrace the change. We have to speak the truth. We speak the truth in love, but we can't compromise the truth. John the Baptist didn't compromise the truth. Jesus didn't compromise the truth. We have to preach his word. God, let God be true in every man, amen. Liar. In other words, without making people aware of their sinful ways, and we're not using the word sinful to condemn people, we're using the word sinful to make us be aware of the fact that if we're outside of God's prescription on what is right and what is wrong, then we have missed the mark, because that's what the word sin means, means we've missed the mark. We're not walking in conformity to his word. Not, we're not walking in conformity to his ways. And I'm not talking to the world. I'm talking to the church right now. As a church, we cannot compromise the word of God to try to get more people in. We want to get as many people as we can into the, uh, uh, the, into the church. And, and the goal is not to hide out in church, but the goal is to get the church out into the world but if you send out into the world the people that are doing the same thing the world is doing then you're not bringing light in the world is darkness when you got saved the light of God came to light in you and what we need to do is we need to learn how to walk in such a way that that light continues to shine and shines brighter and brighter and brighter in our lives but we can't do that if we think everything is okay the church today is, is, is in a battle trying to figure out, some of the denominations are trying to figure out, you know, uh, uh, whether or not we should endorse homosexuality. The Bible's very clear. Yeah, it's, it's wrong. Yeah. Right? Well, the world is celebrating it, and the church, if they don't celebrate it, you know, they're going to be out that the world is not going to embrace them. They're not going to want to come. They're not going to do all this kind of stuff. No, I believe that people that are lost in the world know that what they're doing is wrong. And the answer is not to say what you're doing is okay. Just come on in, and we're going to find a way to get you saved without changing. No, the reality is we all, whether we're in homosexuality or whether we're involved in adultery or whether we're involved in some kind of uh, uh, other sin, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us needs to recognize that our ways are not God's ways. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believeth in him should not perish, but that they should have everlasting life. But in order to embrace God, you have to renounce your ways. I have to recognize that the way I'm living is wrong. I have to recognize that I'm lost and i have to recognize that there's nothing that i can do that will get me to a place where god says oh okay you're you're okay you can come on in no i am the way jesus said the truth and the life no man comes to the father except through me you must deny yourself take up your cross and follow after me there's no room in the church Whatever the world does, the world is lost. I'm not speaking to the world. We want the world to get saved, but there's no room in the church for compromise. Instead of calling, it seems that, yet it seems that's the way the church is going. Instead of calling uh, calling people to repentance, we are embracing accommodation. And that is not what John was doing. He was calling for change. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Luke 3, 10 through 14, what was he saying? And the crowds asked him, what shall we do? And he said, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do the same. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than you're authorized to do. Soldiers asked him, what shall we do? And he said, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation and be content with your wages. In other words, he was calling them out. Change what you're doing. Don't just come in and be involved in a ritual. Recognize that you're not living right and change your heart, not just your position. So what is the outcome of the Spirit's moving? Uh, This is our sixth point, Matthew 3 through 12. The Bible says, "His The Lord's winning fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. In preaching truth, Jesus would preach truth, but John was also preaching truth. And in preaching the Word of God and preaching truth, you're going to create a division among people. Yeah. Why? Because the Word of God is true. Yeah. And as such, it separates truth. From error. Psalms 119, 160 says, The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Hebrews 4 and 12, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Listen, when you have a standard, when you have a a measure or a rule, and the word of God is God's standard, when that standard is proclaimed, you're going to fall on one side or the other. Yeah. You measure up, you don't measure up. Now, the only way we measure up is in Christ. But what I'm saying is that when truth is proclaimed, we're going to, we can't lie to ourselves anymore. We can't say, I'm okay, I'm good everything's going to be alright. And you know, that's what we want to do. We want to say everything's okay from our side of the coin, but the reality is we're not allowed to talk about what's on our side of the coin. We're not the judge. He is the judge. He is the one that determines right and wrong, and His word is true. Let God be true in every man a liar. It shall never change. It's the same, and he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the, the thought that's on my head, in my head right now, because and I think about it because my wife is a diabetic uh, educator. So um, in, in uh, that struggle that people have with their sugars, and I'll talk about my dad because my dad's not here to say, don't talk about me anymore. He's already gone to be with the Lord. I can't talk about living people because I always get in trouble when I do. So I'll talk about my dad. <laughs> So my dad had high sugars, right? Now, my dad was an engineer. So as an engineer, your job, if you're working in the plants, he was a piping stress analyst. His job was to make sure that everything that was being built, that was being done, allowed uh, uh, whatever was taking place, had to fall within certain parameters. uh, And if they were outside of the parameters, they were wrong. It's not going to work. If they were inside of the parameters, it was going to be good. So there are parameters to what is a healthy individual and what is a person that is uh, uh, pre-diabetic and what is a person that is a diabetic, whatever the case may be. So my dad was an engineer, but when it came down to his blood sugars, it's amazing how there were no standards. (laughs) The standard is at 90 to 110. That's kind of where you want to be, 90 to 110. So my dad was like 200. And I said, Dad, that's not good. He said, no, that's good. I said, Dad, the standard is this. He said, no, 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 it's good. Why is it good? Because I want it to be good. Because I feel good. Because when I change the standard, it lets me keep doing what I want to do without guilt. And when you bring the standard in, it either causes you to say, hey, I'm not where I need to be, I need to change, or to make you man. It brings a division. You can no longer just kind of skip along and say, everything's okay. You're either going to change, or you're going to try to avoid the truth, or you're going to get man. And in that, what happened everywhere Jesus went. Everywhere Jesus went, people repented, or they got mad, or they never came back. Because it was it Jesus, yes, because he was the word made flesh. It is the word of God that causes this. And we see this with John as well. As a result of John's preaching, we see that there was a separating among the people who were coming to hear John's preaching. First of all, there were those that repented. Matthew 3 and 6, and they were baptized by him in the River Jordan, confessing their sins. We realize, because of what the Word of God that you're preaching, we realize that we're in error. First of all, people that are lost, were coming. So we need to have a place where people that are lost, people that are, that are living in sin, can feel comfortable coming to church. We want sinners to come to church. We do. Right? So we're not, we want to accept sinners, we just can't accept sin. Right? We're not going to compromise truth because it's actually the truth that will set you free. But there were people that were hearing John and when they heard John, they repented. And they said, what must we do to be saved. There were those in the crowd who were convicted of their behavior and confessing their sins. They were baptized by him. But there were also those in the crowd who were unrepentant. Matthew 3, 7 through 8. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism. So these are people that they knew better. These were church people. These were people that have been in church all their life. They don't need anybody to tell them what to do because we're good right? And John said to them, you brood of vipers, boy, that'll really get the lost in. If it was today, they would have, all the deacons would have a meeting with John and say, look, you can't preach this way. We need the Pharisees and the Sadducees because they're the ones with the money. And if you offend the people with the money, we're not going to have a church. We need, we, you can't preach this way anymore because if you preach this way, you know, we're going to get, we're, we're not going to be allowed on YouTube. We're not going to be allowed on any of social platforms and how do you expect to be able to draw a following if you're not allowed on any of the social, of the social platforms? And so you know what churches do? They compromise. Because you can't grow a church without being on social platforms, is the thinking. So instead of uh, uh, eliminating that, let's make sure and accommodate what we need to do so that we can get the people in. After all, it's about getting more people into the church, isn't it? No, it's about getting people's lives changed. How are you going to change people? You Listen, you can have a bowling alley that gives away free pizza and you're going to have lots of people. But those people aren't changed. It's the truth that changes people. And you can't compromise truth. And by the way, let's not not lose sight of something. John the Baptist is in the worst place at the worst time. And he's not dressed appropriately. He's not preaching appropriately according to how we think. And the Bible says that all Judea came out to see him. Why were they doing that? Because God was moving Again, listen. My preaching won't change you. I promise you it won't change you. The message will change you. We won't change you, but the God that lives in us will change you. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It's Jesus, and that's what Anna Joe said at the beginning. It's not about us. Our worship won't change you. But the Jesus that we worship will change you. It's about Jesus. I'm not interested in, and and listen, I do have a say in this because God put me here. I'm not interested in creating an environment where people feel comfortable. I'm interested in creating an environment where God feels comfortable.